Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, most of the first 44 verses. First, however, let us pray. Come to us, O God, as your word is read and proclaimed. Your ancient stories contain timeless truth. Give us new ears to hear with, we pray. Amen. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. He told them, our friend Lazarus, he has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about death. They thought he was merely referring to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Then he said to her, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
And Jesus looked upwards and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the third week of our five-week series on justice, the stories that justice needs to tell. The first week, the Canaanite woman taught us that sometimes for justice to be realized, you really do need to shout You really do need to raise your voice if anything is going to change. Last week, the prophet Jeremiah's exhortation to the exiles to seek the welfare of their city, well, that reminded us that seeking justice means caring about the places we live and everyone else who happens to live there as well. This week, we turn to the story of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, to explore how justice is rooted in relationships. Jesus seems to have a different relationship with Lazarus than he has with anyone else. First, John is careful to point out that this story is about a certain man, not just any man. Most of the people that Jesus encounters in the Gospels remain unnamed to us. But this is Lazarus identified by name and location and relation. He is Lazarus of Bethany, brother of Mary, the one who anointed Jesus' feet. Mary and Martha share the news of this illness with Jesus by saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. The one whom you love. And then in deciding to return to Judea, Jesus explains to his disciples they must do so because it's about our friend, Lazarus. Throughout his ministry, Jesus talks about love and friendship at great length, but in no other instance is any specific person identified as the object of his love and friendship Of course, other people were, plenty of other people were, but I think the Gospels are careful to emphasize the magnitude of this relationship because of the magnitude of the miracle that follows after. Brian Stevenson is a lawyer and an activist who founded the Equal Justice Initiative, a human rights organization in Montgomery, Alabama. He has dedicated his career to helping the poor, the incarcerated, and the condemned. In his book, Just Mercy, he reveals something that he learned early in life, something that has helped shape the person he has become and pursue (coughs) the work that he does. He tells the story of his grandmother, who was the daughter of people who were enslaved in Virginia. Her father talked to her all the time 
about what it was to grow up in slavery. And that legacy influenced her and the way that she raised her children and grandchildren. She developed a habit of constantly telling Brian and the others to keep close. He writes, When I visited her, she would hug me so tightly I could barely breathe. After a little while, she would ask me, Brian, do you still feel me hugging you? If I said yes, she'd let me be. If I said no, she would come at me again. I said no a lot because it made me happy to be wrapped in her formidable arms. She never tired of pulling me to her. You can't understand the most important things from a distance, she would say. Remember that, Brian. You have to get close. I remember a time with my own grandmother when I was little. My brother and I were playing in the backyard and I tripped over a tree root and sprawled out in the driveway with knees and elbows and arms scraped up good. I started to cry and that brought my grandmother running from the house. Where does it hurt? She asked me. As soon as she got to me, where does it hurt? Justice is about relationships, because justice can only be achieved when we get close enough to one another to see where it hurts, to see where things are broken, to see what needs mending and writing and restoring. Back when I was serving my first church, our Presbyterian denomination hadn't yet changed its polity to allow people in same-gendered relationships to be ordained. Thankfully, those days are behind us, but at the time, we were still living with the same old standards. A member of our church, Elizabeth, she was attending seminary, and she wanted to go before session and be approved to begin the ordination process. Elizabeth was involved in nearly every area of our church's life, from worship to mission to serving as a deacon. Elizabeth was also in a committed relationship with another woman. And I worried day and night about how to present this to our session. I was leaning toward addressing it strictly from a theological point of view, starting the conversation without mentioning Elizabeth at all, so that if session said no, it might feel slightly less personal to her. As I say that out loud and hear those words in the air, I hear how ridiculous they are. Of course, it would feel personal to her. But in those first years of ministry, I was a little rough around the edges. Fortunately, my colleague Larry stepped in and he intervened. I don't want to make it about Elizabeth, I said. I don't think it should be personal. And he said, Jenny, you absolutely have to make it personal because session, they might not know what they think about ordination standards right now. And they might not know how to evaluate whether or not to take a stand against an antiquated and outdated and unjust policy. But they do know 
what they think about Elizabeth. They know that she has a long and beautiful and faithful relationship with this church. They do know that they love her and that she loves them. They might say no to a hypothetical, abstract idea, but they will not say no to this woman they know and love because they know her like they do. They will see that she is certainly called to ministry. He was right. The session voted to endorse Elizabeth, and less than a year later, the denomination voted to change the entire policy, in large part because they could no longer ignore the ministry of those who identified as LGBTQ, faithful folks who loved Jesus so much they refused to leave his church behind. And I learned in a very real way then that it will always be easier to maintain the status quo when it is kept at arm's length. Justice becomes possible when we get close enough to one another because justice is rooted in our relationships. Jesus and Lazarus, they are so close. They are so close that Jesus weeps over his friend's death. Only twice in his ministry is he reduced to tears, and this is one of the times. So he goes to the tomb and he calls out, come out. And then the gospel tells us, the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. It is the final miracle of Jesus' life, and it is unparalleled. Water into wine is refreshing, and feeding 5,000 with a few scraps is appetizing, and restoring a man's sight is revealing. But raising someone to new life that is not just death-defying, that is death-defeating. It's so astonishing and attention-grabbing that for a long time I missed something else important. Jesus says, come out, and Lazarus walks out of the tomb. But when he walks out, did you hear it? He is still described as a dead man. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound. Jesus gets him on his feet again, but that is only part of the miracle. He then invites the community all around him into the work of restoring life. Because Lazarus is still wrapped in the trappings of death. His burial clothes are clinging to him. And you might remember that when Jesus himself is raised, every gospel takes careful mention to point out that his burial clothes were left behind inside the tomb because someone who is fully alive doesn't need them anymore. Now make no mistake, with Lazarus, Jesus could have done the same. Instead, he does something perhaps even more miraculous he makes it possible, he makes it necessary even, for others 
to take part in bringing the miracle to completion. Unbind him, he says, to everyone who is nearby. Unbind him and let him go. You finish what I've started. You are part of this too, so get about the business of loosening those bandages. Shake the spider webs of death off of him and set him free. That is your work to do. From start to finish, absolutely everything in this story happens because of relationships. The relationship that Jesus has with those around him and thanks to his miraculous reminder, the relationship those around him have with one another. That's what happens when you follow Jesus long enough and far enough. You end up discovering that you are connected to everyone he is connected to. You end up being asked to love everyone he loves and serve everyone he serves and seek justice everywhere he does. That is always a reciprocal practice though, even if we don't realize it at the time. Because while those of us who have much might help unbind folks who have to make a choice each month between feeding their family and paying their rent, when we help unbind them, we are being unbound from the danger of an insular experience. And when we help unbind someone who is lost in the caretaking of dementia, we are being unbound from the risk of meaningless days. When we help unbind someone from the looming threat of medical debt, we are being unbound from the captivity that can spring from excessive materialism. Justice unbound is always a reciprocal practice. This whole story is traditionally referred to as the raising of Lazarus. And it's a good story, but it's a long one. It was long even the way I read it to you today, and we skipped over a bunch of verses. Start to finish, this story is 44 verses. Lazarus is actually raised in verse 43 of 44. It is tempting to skip everything in the middle and get right to the action. But if we do that, it's too easy to understand this as a story about death. And nothing could be further from the truth. This is a story about life. This is a story about faith. It is a story about our capacity to believe in situations that defy belief under any reasonable circumstance. Biblical scholar Brian Blunt, he says, this story is not so much about Lazarus being raised from the dead as it is about us being raised from our fear and hesitation. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he isn't talking about rising up the dead. He's talking about waking up the living. Do you remember what Jesus says to Martha right before he calls Lazarus out of the tomb? 
She tries to warn Jesus that his friend has been in the tomb for four days. And in the words of the King James version of this story, the dead man, he shall stinketh. (laughs) Jesus' only response to that is to say, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Now, Martha has already said that she believes, in part. Earlier in the story, she has dutifully recited to Jesus that, yes, of course, she believes that her brother will rise again on the last day, that there will be eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, yes, Martha, that is true for the future. And I am the resurrection and the life here and now. My promises, they are not just long off and far away. For anyone who dares to believe in who I am and what that means, my promises are available and in front of you this very day. All of which is to say that justice is not something best left for the afterlife when angels and saints and Jesus himself will sort everything out. Justice is needed, and justice is possible here, today, now, for those who are faithful enough or maybe foolish enough to believe in everything that sounds impossible. And why wouldn't we? We've just seen a dead man walk. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.